You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour two to Flames game day. Flames and Penguins tonight. Matty Rose doing a, that was a good rock star kick he just had. It's like you were in an 80s I got the hair leg band. Up there, yeah, right? like so. you did. Don't yeah! don't Woo! don't blow it a groin. <laughs> I might have to stretch. One of my bit. lamest sports injuries ever was I tore my groin playing slow pitch. <laughs> and I was so mad at myself. Like I literally tore it so bad that I could see the blood on the inside oh! of my leg. I go, is this normal? Yeah, that's the it's worst. never been the same. And I did oh. it playing slow pitch. Co-ed slow pitch was even worse. I was worried about my hammies in the cold on Saturday when we were playing out in the snow. Yeah. And even the setting, like any time you had to make like a hard plant and try and move, feet right out from underneath you. We're such athletes. Nope. Uh, a real athlete, Jen Botterill, three-time Olympic gold medalist, uh, Sportsnet hockey analyst, going to join us. At 7.30, and we're taking your uh, questions, your your responses on the old text line, 960-960. I went to a sports bar by myself last night. Mm. Which is sadder, sports bar or going to a movie by yourself? 960-960, name and location. But right now, tee up the World Series. Uh, Adnan Verk, MLB, NHL Network, the Cinephile Podcast. Adnan, good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great here. First and foremost, I take personal umbrage against that question. I... Uh, I love nothing more than to go to the movies by yeah. myself, specifically. And yeah. I have gone to a sports bar by myself, especially because it was. Hang on, let's go to sports bar first. Okay. I don't like going to the sports bar because I really like listening to the announcers. Again, mm. true broadcasting nerd. I want to hear Ron Darling's analysis. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear Joey from Staten Island next to me talk about why the Yankees are struggling. So that's what I don't <laughs> like about it. What I what I do like about going solo is. I then don't have to have inane conversation from Joey from Staten Island while I'm trying to watch the game. So at least I can focus mm. on the visual rather than having both the visual and the audio compromised by being with somebody who I'd rather just watch the game. Back to the movie, which is the more important issue. Of, yeah, course, of course, it's goal owner. Are you kidding? If I have to go with somebody, again, I have to placate them. I have to listen to them chew popcorn, eat milk duds. I have to think about where their emotional reaction is to the movie. I have to worry about them checking their cell phone the entire time while I'm trying to watch the film. So, yeah, I... I, uh, there's nothing better Tuesday matinee, one o'clock <laughs> by myself to go see a movie. Okay, Adnan, we, we love it. We we talked about you, and I go for sure. Adnan's been to a movie by himself. The guy hosts Cinephile Podcast. Of course, you've been there. Now I have to ask you this question: Have you ever brought a blanket to a movie by yourself? Because <laughs> <laughs> you know people know do that. I've seen it. Yeah, I don't know what's funnier, the question or the fact as you phrased the question, you started to laugh. I think both of those are terrible. Because I think bringing the blanket sadder. So you think you think neither is sadder, which is fine. It's totally fine. Yeah. There's, there's a, it's a very Maddie. No, Maddie thinks going to the going to your bar. Maddie goes all the time sports bars by himself. Yeah, it's he loves it. Yeah, I can't get enough. And movies, I'm not. I don't think either is sad per se. But um, I go to the bar all the all the time by myself. It's I don't. I, it's not a brag. It's That's, definitely not a brag. Well, I I consider myself a social <laughs> chameleon myself. But obviously, Maddie likes to go by himself. I prefer to go with friends. Then you have some conversations. Mm. You have some fun. You do some drinks. Have some shots. Blah blah blah. But last night, I'm like, I gotta go out. I gotta do something. I went by myself like a loser to a sports bar to watch the 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 end of the games of the Leafs and Golden Knights and the um, Canes. 
and uh, Canucks. All right, Adnan, World Series is all set. Uh, it's it's Fever but, Town. Wait, just to interject, yeah. George, I've, I've yeah. never brought a blanket with me to a movie. I'll okay, okay, yeah. I the text heating up. Yeah. I've never done that. Yeah. I've that. seen Go it. Ahead. I've seen the blanket at the movie by themselves. You're like, wow, that's that's great. And they usually sit near the front when they bring a blanket to you because they don't want too much attention paid because they can get a little breezy in the movie theater. There's a bit of a draft. You get a little stiff neck watching a movie. Yep. All right, mm-hmm. Adnan. Um, Things are going crazy in Philadelphia. Can you explain to us how many poles were greased around Broadway <laughs> when the Phillies punched their ticket to the World Series? Because I saw that news story that so people won't scale the, the numerous uh, traffic lights, light poles in Philadelphia. That's how much people love their sports in Philadelphia, right? That they have to grease poles in the downtown. Uh, it's insane, George. And I have a first-person account of this. As Maddie knows, I'm a huge Philadelphia Flyers fan. So every year I take my family to go see the Flyers. My wife is originally from San Jose. She's a Sharks fan, so they come once a year. What day did the Sharks happen to visit the Flyers? Oh, you betcha, Sunday night while the NLCS <laughs> is going on. And for those who are unaware of the way Philadelphia is set up, it's really unique in that all of their stadiums are in one area. It is South Philadelphia, a gigantic parking lot. You've got Lincoln Financial Field, you've got Citizens Bank Park, and you've got Wells Fargo. So the game is 7 o'clock Eastern, the hockey, and we're going to. I've got my Flyers jersey. She's got her Patrick Marlowe shirt. Away we go. Kids are all ready to go. We got there 15 minutes after the Phillies had clinched. Like, I'm, I'm listening to Harper's home on the radio, incredulous, and just bad scene. Like, bananas. I go, there's no way we're ever going to park. So it took us, like, like 40 minutes to park. And, and to your point, George, I'm like, there's going to be people, like, running in the streets looking like, you know, looting is going to be taking place. It wasn't quite to that level of, of hysteria, but I, I, I saw plenty of cops up there in full force. I saw streets being closed off. I saw a strong police presence looking to deter people from causing mayhem. And uh, during the Flyers game, like several times, they just kept mentioning the Phillies win and people are wearing Phillies jersey to Flyers game. So I, I do love the passion. There is no question that that city loves their sports and uh, no bigger authority than Chris Berman, the great mm-hmm. boomer, when asked one time who has the best sports fans, he said, well, it's definitely somebody on the East Coast. He said, it's one of New York, Philadelphia, or Boston, maybe D.C. He goes, but honestly, I kind of lean towards Philly. And I'm with Boomer because, I mean, those other cities, like New York is one of the greatest cities in the world. They have so much going for them. But if their sports teams are lousy, it's like, meh. You know, Boston, again, the great rich history and college, et cetera, D.C., political capital. Like Philly, with all due respect, if I said to you guys, okay, what do you think think of Philadelphia? Do you think of the sports teams? Like, Mm -hmm. it's literally a team in which the sports fans determine the city's outlook and their passion and their moods, whether good or bad. So, uh, it's going to be a pretty wild scene, and uh, I'm only an hour 45 minutes away. So perhaps the chaos will extend to me mm. if indeed the Phillies do win. So I, I guess the as we haven't really taken in a ton of Phillies baseball here on the station uh, over the course of the postseason, but they've only lost twice on their way to the World Series. Uh, how has this all come together for Philadelphia in the postseason? It's pretty remarkable. You know, if you haven't followed the journey, the downside of it is you say, well, what's the point of the regular season? Like the Phillies are the team that, that barely squeaked in. But as we all know, whether you watch March Madness, whether it's the basketball playoffs, whether it's the hockey playoffs, you always see top seeds get upset at some point in time because the team can get hot at the right time. And for Philadelphia, they're riding the recipe of a robust offense, a pair of aces, and a suddenly, shockingly revamped and rejuvenated bullpen. And the last one is the most surprising because they've had a bad bullpen the last couple of years. And going into the playoffs, I would have said the reason why the Phillies will not get to the World Series is their defense and their bullpen. Their defense is still not exemplary with the likes of Nicholas Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber having to play the outfield at times. But 
their offense has been so robust, which is the way the team was constructed by Dave Dombrowski. Like, yeah, whatever, but we don't care about defense and UZR and defensive run save. We'll just bash the other team in. And he's been right. That's what they've done in the playoffs. And the bullpen's been really surprising and that that was thought to be the weak spot, but whether it's Brad Hand or David Robertson or Sir Anthony Dominguez, who's been particularly strong, you know, they've been able to, to cobble enough outs to, to get to the end result. Now, the, the, the ones that we knew would bring it are Wheeler and Nola. Wheeler's an absolute ace. He has dealt every single time. Nola was great against the Braves. Game two actually gave it up against San Diego. Had that 4 nothing lead, and they rallied back. But the offense is really the story. And I think if you're a baseball fan, I don't know how you don't love Bryce Harper. He's literally putting the team on his back and doing everything you expect a superstar to do. Five home runs. That home run off Suarez in the eighth. Again, the Padres win that game, and it's a different series. I swear to you. All of a sudden, then it's 3-2 Philly, but they're going back to San Diego, and they just proved they can beat Wheeler. Like, he started that game. He would not have won. You go, that's your best pitcher. All of a sudden, the Padres have a, have a chance for, for Harper to punch back and hit that home run when he did. You know, timing is everything, and – it's why you're a sports fan. You want to see the stars perform at their, at their breast. And along with Harper, Schwarber led the league in home runs. He's been great. Again, I mentioned Castellanos. Their six, seven, eight fellas has been really good. Like the likes of like Bryson Stott are really chipping in with hits. And, you know, you're not expecting Gene Segura to step up like and have a great series. But he had a huge game in game two. So it's, um, it's really been a collective effort for Philly. And, and I'm as surprised as anybody. Um, I, I, if you said to me they were going to make the World Series, I would have thought you should be in a, a mental institution. There's no way it was going to happen. And now they've got a chance. <laughs> I, I, and, I, and I think, fellas, the Astros are a formidable favor. They, they have yet to lose yeah. a game. The Phillies have yet to trail at any point in the series. But, I, again, I would have picked against Philly every step of the way. I would have said the Cardinals will beat them, the Braves will beat them, the Padres have beaten them. Nobody has. Now it's Houston's turn. So games three, four, and five are going to be in Philadelphia, and we've just talked about the fan base and all of the buildings being close and how it is a sports city. I'm always intrigued by home field advantage, you know, sport to sport. In baseball especially, how much of a home field advantage is it going to be for Philadelphia when they eventually get back there for games three through five, or is it going to be something where these Philly fans are a little bit fickle sometimes and maybe a little bit of nerves could set in? What's fascinating is that we always look at home field in all sports, and particularly in baseball. So, well, they've got a home field, especially if the better starting pitcher in a game seven, you go with that team. And yet the evidence proves it's basically a coin flip. Like going back to 1995, which was the extended playoffs, home teams win an average of 55% of the time. And if you go even in the shorter sample size, the last 10 to 12 years, it goes down to 52%. So anybody who's saying the Astros win the World Series is a home field, I'm like, well, that really isn't going to matter now. With regards to Philadelphia, which I think is a great point, because those crowds seem to be up a different level. And anybody who's been at those games has said, this is the loudest I've ever heard a crowd in Philadelphia. It's the loudest I've heard a baseball stadium in a long time. And, and I've got to think that must have some sort of an impact. There's not a coincidence that when you look at the Philadelphia's play, particularly their offense, they just seem to be so infectious about just pounding run after run, and it becomes contagious. Uh, whether it was against the Braves and just knocking around Spencer Strider, or in those games against San Diego, their offense at home. I mean, Citizens Bank is a band box anyways. It's obviously a very hitter-friendly lineup, but they've been particularly strong there. So I think if Philadelphia can just steal one of those first two games against Houston, they feel pretty good about the fact they are very confident they could theoretically win three straight in Philadelphia because that crowd is so strong. And you mentioned the fact, yes, that they can be negative. They can turn on you, but I, I don't think they are with this team. They realize that the opportunity is near and, even if somebody boots a ball, they're not going to start booing him right there in the moment. They're going to try to have his back and, and hope the Phillies can pull it off. 
and Verk MLB NHL Network Cinephile Podcast. Joining us here on the big show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Adnan, is wanting Dusty Baker to win the World Series as a manager kind of like a real-life Larry David meme? You're like, oh, I'd be so happy for <laughs> I'd be so happy for Dusty Baker, the lizard, to finally get that World Series ring, but at the same time, it's like, uh, the Astros just won the World Series. Yeah, every single team, I have to find some sort of reason to root for them. Now, sometimes it can actually be impossible. Like when you look at, uh, I don't know, Dukes, for example, like I, I just can't find a reason right. to cheer for Coach Hayden. Duke tries it hard. But in this instance, for Philadelphia, it's pretty easy for us as Canadians. Rob Thompson, of course, is Canadian. To see a manager as a Canadian, and what a storyline that is. Joe Girardi gets canned. This guy takes over, and all of a sudden, he's going to lead this team of the World Series. That's wild. But on the other side, conversely, it is the one reason to root for the Astros is Dusty Baker. We've heard so much narrative about him never having won a World Series. I did have to double-check his thing. I know he, he did win as a player, to be clear. But as a manager, yes, he's managed the most games, I believe, ever winning a World Series. And when you look back at his resume, when you have to go, wait, he was managing 93 San Francisco Giants. We're going way back here. The Giants, the Nationals, the Reds, and, of course, now with the Astros. And just think of the context. Like, he had to come in as a caretaker. They have this crazy cheating scandal. They got to fire A.J. Hinch. Who do we get? Well, let's just dust off Dusty Baker, see what he can do. Yeah. And he's been the perfect guy for them. He, he calmed things down. He took away the controversy. He's great with the media. The players all like him. He works well with, with all those around him. And they are exactly what they should be. They're a juggernaut. And Dusty took away the distractions. Very Joe Torrey-like. Mm-hmm. Older veteran guy. Hey, I'll, I'll focus all the attention on me. You guys just do your thing. And they've taken care of business. And he is literally, I think, the, the, I don't know about the only reason, he's definitely the best reason to cheer for the Houston Astros. I also like Justin Verlander. I do think Jordan Alvarez is a lot of fun to watch. But, yeah, I, just like any other baseball fan, I heard Houston. I go, yeah, that's not the first team that I'm rooting for, but I'm rooting for Dusty. And yeah. if they win, that's the one thing I can say, hey, man, that's pretty cool to see a guy like him get a World Series. And, and when having a toothpick in your mouth is not a look, it's a lifestyle. And Dusty Baker really <laughs> rocks that lifestyle on, on a game-in, game-out basis. Uh, these Shohei Otani rumors, to me, are, like, so intriguing it's the story of the offseason to me either like the the the, the angels are going to end up signing uh, Aaron Judge to try to like keep Shohei Otani and then try to spend as much money and then lose 90 games with like Otani Aaron Judge and Mike Trout which would be so angels of them but I'm hearing there's a lot of whispers that the Blue Jays are in on these Otani talks early on do you think there's any validity to that uh, Adnan could the Blue Jays actually pull this off and get the most interesting man in baseball yeah, he should get those ads, just like that most interesting man in the world. I, I, I think it's a possibility. And the fact that Otani, who's the last person in the world to ruffle feathers, he's you know the furthest thing from controversial. And for him to tell Japanese media when he was back home that, yeah, it was a really disappointing season, you know that, that means something because this guy won't say anything. He's never critical of anyone. And if you ask him honestly, as he should be, be very disappointed with the team around him. And he's got one year left in his contract. The Angels have to look hard and deep in the situation and go, all right, He's a transcendent force in the sport. We've got $36 million going against Trout, who only played 120 games, yet still hit 40 home runs. Like, he's only the sixth player in baseball history to play that few games and still knock in 40 home runs. But he's not healthy the last couple of years. And you're paying Rendon, for whom he's allergic to good health, you're paying him $35 million a year. And so Otani is worth as much as those guys. This next year, he's still in a bargain deal, right? It was $5 million a year. Even with arbitration, he gets a little more fine. Whatever it ends up being, it's, it's far quiet what he should be getting. But he is a 35 to $40 million a year guy. I think we can all agree. 
So are you going to pay $111 to three guys and you still only have one pitcher, especially when the Angels are in the midst of being sold? You guys know what this is like. When you sell a house, you don't add assets. You try to divest yourself. You clean house and think, all right, right, here, it's all yours. So I just think the situation, when you look at the economics of it and where the team is realistically, it makes the most sense to trade Otani now while you can. And you'll get more for him now than, of course, you'll get in July. And if you wait the whole year, you run the risk of getting nothing for a talent we haven't seen in the sport in 100 years. So I would think the Angels have to at least open up the phones and have conversations. And Toronto has got deep pockets, which we all know. They've got young talent, which we know. The Angels could rebuild themselves in a hurry. Angels need pitching more than anything, but Toronto can obviously give up one of those big superstars, whether it's, you know, dare I say, a Vlad Jr. or a Bo Bichette or whomever it's going to be. It's going to be a significant price tag for Otani. You're not going to get away with just giving them Teoscar Hernandez and, like, you know, whatever the, the carcasses of Gabriel uh, Moreno. That, that, yeah. Yes, someone like Moreno, like a hot stud prospect, something like that. I think, I think you're going to have to give up, you know, a couple of jewels. Maybe you tell them, hey, no Vladdy, no Bo. Everybody else is open for business, well, and you kind of start to work back from there. Well, I was going to ask you, uh, obviously, Bo led the American League in hits the last two seasons. Would you trade uh, one? Would you trade Bo Bichette for one year of Shohei Otani, one guaranteed year of Shohei Otani, and then you try to convince him to stay in Toronto long term? You know, I probably would. I, I, I wow. think I would take that risk because, yeah, I, I mean, because I would feel confident enough that, I, that Otani, if he's there, he can see why this would be a perfect environment for him. I think he'd say, look at Toronto, world-class city, multicultural. It's a passionate fan base, but it's not overwhelming. It's not going to drive you to distraction the way that a New York or a Philly might. So you've got you know, the, the laid-backness, so to speak, of Los Angeles. In fact, Toronto fans are not uh, absurdly rabid, yet they are supportive, and they've got the deep pockets, and they can win. Like, if most importantly, he wants to win, this is a team that's going to contend for the division title in the American League, American League East at the very least, and they're going to be a playoff team, and he can be that guy that can put them over the top. And in, in, in terms of Bo, he's going to be expensive anyways, George, because, like, sooner or later, you're going to have to pay him $250 million. So you go, okay, well, I'm going to have to pay him 250 right. I'll give Otani 350 I'll just pay Otani then. For, for a guy who I'm not sure can play $250 million shortstop, like, he'll Correct. rake for That's me, the biggest concern. but I don't yeah. know how good he is at shortstop. Mm. That's the problem, ultimately. You nailed it. That's the biggest concern with Bo. I love his swag. I love his flash. You're right. He did lead the league in hits. But you ask any avid Blue Jays fan, and for at least four months of the year, Bo Bichette was an underachiever. Now, he caught fire in September. He did that a year ago as well. There's no doubt he steps up. But his defense is a real concern. Like, nobody looks at that guy and says, he is a cornerstone of your infield. He is a premier defensive shortstop. Any metric proves that is not the case. Ad Dan, I'll ask you to uh, flip from the MLB network to the NHL network uh, hat, if you don't mind. Uh, you mentioned you were at that Flyers-Sharks game. We saw our first third-period benching of some stars by John Tortorella as Travis Konechny and Kevin Hayes got sat down in that one. What have you made of uh, the first few games of John Tortorella's tenure with the Flyers? Well, all along, I said, someone's going to get the memo to torch. Like, hey, we're supposed to stink this year, so you can get Connor Bedard. Like, what's, like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you, why are you inspiring them? Huh. Why are you motivating them to play well? Like, right out of the gate, you know, they win their first game. They rally against the Canucks. Uh, a four-in-one start. They win on the road in Nashville. Like, no, torch, knock it off. Like, what are we doing? Ellis isn't here. Katuri is not here until January. You're supposed to lose. But I'm like, well, I guess nobody got the memo to torch. And, and this is my worst fear. They should be atrocious. And yet, because Torch is such a good coach, he'll inspire them to be 10th or 11th in the East. So I'm like, so you're not going to make the playoffs, but you're not going to be horrible enough to get the best pick. But at the very least, if they're going to be better than I realize, if they're going to be, a, I guess, a 500 team, so be it. 
Now, with those expectations, we go to that Sharks game. Flyers are four and one. The Sharks, I believe, are one and five, maybe one and six. Worst team in hockey, and they lay an absolute dud. No jam, no juice whatsoever. Even <laughs> my one son looks at me and goes, "They don't even hit anybody anymore." I said, "No, there's nothing." They lose three nothing, lay an egg. So good for Torts to say, "I'm not going to take this." Like I, I get it. Maybe you guys were all watching the Phillies game. Maybe, maybe people were a little distracted, but no, we're going to have to compete, play a little better. There was. No offensive jam. They had one goal, which was disallowed. That would have been the first goal of the game. And after that, San Jose virtually took over. A little misleading in terms of shots on goal. They were virtually even. But, again, quality scoring chances. The Flyers had a few, but Reimer was good enough to stand. But if James Reimer is shutting you out, you've got an issue. So the one thing about John Torrell we know is there's going to be accountability. Whether you're Kevin Hayes or Travis Connected, you better bring it. Otherwise, you're going to sit. Adnan Verk, MLB NHL Network, the Cinephile Podcast. Adnan, thanks for this. And if it's a little breezy, a little chilly in the movie theater, don't be afraid to bring that blanket, okay? Don't be afraid. It is a totally fair point that it does get chilly. But, I mean, yeah. a hoodie is fine. You don't need yeah. to bring a blanket. Okay. A little sad. Okay. It's just a little extra layer it's of sadness. It's bad optics, George. Yeah, it's bad optics. Bring that little blanket. I've seen it. I've seen it many times. Adnan, great stuff. We'll talk next week, pal. Thanks, George. Thanks, Matty. Be well. Enjoy the World Series. Oh, we absolutely will. Um, Phillies and Astros. Sure. Yeah, why not? I like to see Bryce Harper win. I can't believe between people these, hate on Bryce these... Harper so much. I'm I'm always kind of a, I, I like to see. Has he done like the opposite of a heel turn? No, people like, still don't slightly. like Bryce. People because... still don't like him, but it it, it feels like but, it's cooled off recently. But the, when when the guy was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 16 years old, being the next superstar, but the guy's won two MVPs in the National League. Yeah, he's a good player. Like he's incredible. He's a great player. And he hits an enormously and his teammates seem to run. like him now. Yeah. He he's lived up to the hype, and he signed that massive contract in Philadelphia, and he could potentially win a world championship against an Astros team that nobody's rooting for, an Astros team that has yet to lose in the postseason. Yeah, they're a buzzsaw. They're the most complete team in baseball, and we've seen it. But the Phillies are just hot, and they've we, only lost twice too. We talk about every time in baseball, not the, the best team usually doesn't win the World Series. The hottest team wins the World Series, and right now. Nobody is more scorching hot, even though the Astros are perfect, than the Philadelphia Phillies because they are hot. And they got that it factor going on right now that a lot of Blue Jays fans hope that would happen to the Jays. That jam. But it didn't. But please get Shohei Otani. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be neato? Oh, it'd be so awesome. Just think of it this way. World Series starts Real quick because we got to get to Jen Botterill. Mm. Think of it this way. Have you ever been to a batting cage? Yeah. Okay. You know, if you, did you ever? Were you ever the cool guy and you rank it up? You ratchet that thing up to like a hundred. Yeah, and then you, your friends laugh at you as you, and you look like a fool. You can, you can't even remotely close to come hitting a hundred no. on the on the on the batting cage. Just think about Shohei Otani could only hit those balls. He can also throw them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Human. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. He's right now like he's and this doesn't get. He's probably the greatest athlete in the world right now. There's no comparable. Yeah, there's no comparable. Um, but I mean, like, there's no... It's like Connor McDavid would play, like, four games for the Oilers, and then the fifth game, he puts on the gear and gets a shutout. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> it's like Tom Brady is the quarterback of the Bucks, and then he's the middle linebacker on defense. And also has to kick game-winning field goals. Yeah. Like, that's what Shoei Otani does. He's a top-10 hitter and a top-10 pitcher. Hmm. Yeah, who, who, I don't know. Who in sports can can boast that? 
we haven't seen it in quite some time. Like you think of like a, a Deion Sanders who played that's MLB right. and NFL no, at the same time, right? right? Like that's. But and he also and he used to play some. Uh, he used to dig some uh, routes running as receiver. Sure, with the Cowboys yeah, back he in the did. day because he, he was so fast. Played both sides of the ball. But yeah, like who who can say that in sports? Nobody. Nobody. Not right now. Because he's such a unicorn. Yep. All right. Jim Botterill, uh, three-time Olympic gold medalist, Sportsnet hockey analyst straight ahead, and Jason Bukala, former NHL scout, Sportsnet columnist at 830. It's all straight ahead. It's the big show. Russick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan. You're listening to the big show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Big show, Russick and Rose. The Flames game day. Flames and Penguins tonight. Get things going to Flames warm-up with Steinberg and Lombardius at 6 o'clock. Puck drop just after 7 right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, Jason Bukala, former NHL scout, Sportsnet columnist at 8.30. But right now, she's a three-time Olympic gold medalist. You watch her on Hockey Night in Canada. She's a Sportsnet hockey analyst. We say good morning to Jennifer Bottler. Jen, how are you? Hi, doing really well, thanks. How are you doing? We're great. Thanks for jumping on. I have to ask you, three-time Olympic gold medalist, but where do you keep the silver medal from Nagano, Jen? <laughs> the silver, there's no yeah. question, does not get uh, very much love. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, you know, if I'm doing events, sometimes it's there, but it's the same thing. If anybody wants a photo, I, not many people are going to reach for the silver for the, okay. the photographer, okay. the photos that we're taking. So that's fair, right? There's expectations in this country. Sure. Except that. Yeah, it's uh, again. Uh, it was it was that that Olympics nobody wants to remember because that one was a soul crushing Olympics for a lot of people. But again, three gold medals is absolutely incredible. I got to ask you about Sidney Crosby because we had this conversation before he jumped on, and Crosby and the Penguins are in town in Calgary tonight. Do do we not appreciate Sid enough and what he's done? I just his resume is incredible, and he scored that goal in mm-hmm. Vancouver. He's a three time Stanley Cup champion. All the attention now is on McDavid and Matthews and Ovechkin's goal chase. I feel like Sid's kind of in the background a little bit, and maybe he shouldn't be, Jen. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a very fair assessment uh, in terms of the, you know one of the biggest stars to ever play the game. But I think for him, he's always just done what he needs to do and to be exceptional. And, you know, I think when, the one thing I think about with Crosby so often is how he's constantly, I think, made adjustments to his game. You know, I think about when he first came in, it was, oh, I have to be better um, guy off the draws. And he worked on his face-offs one summer and then became one of the most reliable face-off guys. And, you know, one year he didn't think his backhand was good enough and it became, you know, one of the top two probably elite backhands in the game. So, I would say, yeah, but it's great for the game that we've had a lot of these younger, talented stars to appreciate as well. But I'm going to say, yes, that probably Sid deserves even a little more attention and credit for where he's at in his career, how he continues to produce. Uh, but I think for him, too, I mean, he's, I think he's not, a, he's not going to need all of that in terms of, I think he's still getting enough attention. I feel like their their teams, uh, you know, had quite the offensive production to start this season. So uh, I think certainly there's lots to uh, to feel thankful for for what he's doing and how he continues to produce and be so consistent. And we're excited to see him uh, here at the Saddle Dome tonight. Him, Gino, Latang, the whole crew back together um, as the Flames look for another win this season, looking for their fifth. And Jen, what what has maybe impressed you the most about this start to the Flames season? 
Well, I mean, after all the changes coming into this season, people had, I'm sure, Flames fans, right, mixed emotions initially and then excitement for this new talent. And, you know, a few things about the Flames, really how how elite their their top-level talent is that came in. And if you watch, I mean, Huberto, I think whether it's just the vision of the game, you can watch them all game long. You're not going to see many players that play more heads up in terms of more full ice awareness on where every person is, right? If you're on the ice with him, just stay ready at every moment and, and you're going to get the puck at some point. You know, when you bring Kadri in and used in different situations, but to me, to see how smooth and efficient he's been, I think the one thing for his talent level that I continue to admire is just timing uh, for him on when he needs to be explosive, when he needs to accelerate to space. Uh, and finding those quality scoring opportunities. Um, and then, you know, the game on the weekend, right, you get the, the overtime and, and, and Sutter sort of putting into Foley when he needs to, not necessarily going to be your your best skater at every moment, but I feel like bench management on knowing when to put people in, in certain situations. So uh, there's certainly a lot to be excited for uh, with this team. Jen, being a, 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 an athlete, like you have your, your incredible athletic career, when, when somebody like Huberto, he hasn't scored yet, but he's known for his playmaking mm-hmm. ability. How do you think he manages that? Because obviously he will score for the Flames, and it's important that he mm-hmm. does chip in uh, with goals here and there. But I'm sure he's at the point now where it's a new team, new environment, new teammates, that he wants to get them involved as much as possible. So how do you think he's going to manage that moving forward here to, yeah, I still have to be the playmaker, but I also do have mm-hmm. to chip in and score once in a while here? I think there's twofold uh, with that, and certainly for a player of his caliber and his level, uh, there's one thing I think you have to have the inner confidence to know, yes, the goal production will come. Uh, and then on the second side, of course, he knows that he wants to be the biggest contributor he possibly can. So there's still that element of, okay, if it hasn't come yet, are you second guessing at any point or gripping your stick just a little bit tighter? But I think for him, he's a player that maintains composure. Yes. It's a new environment. Just, you know, still finalizing all that chemistry with your team, with your line mates. Uh, but I have all the confidence that for him, his experience, how talented he is, it's that combination. You're going to still play your game, play to your strengths, and know and trust that the goal production will come. The other team out here in Western Canada, well, there's a couple of them, but one of them is really struggling. That's the Vancouver Canucks. Yesterday they take a tough loss at the hands of the Carolina Hurricanes. Still winless. Now the last two have come at home, which kind of has a little bit of a a different sting to them. What have you made of this start for the Vancouver Canucks, and and what do you think could be a possible solution for this group right now? Yeah, it's a tough one for them, right? When you you start the season, if it's – Four or five games, there's concern, but you think, oh, okay, we can, we can just sort of turn the page. But when it starts to become six and, and seven, then it's, it's a tough situation for them. I mean, the one really concerning moment was from the weekend, right, where they showed the tension on the ice, the guys leaving the ice, you know, having heated conversations before they get back to the locker room. And, of course, it's going to be there. There's going to be tension. They, they, they have a – they have more than a decent lineup. And so for them to not get the results they need, it's tough on games when Quinn Hughes is out. That's a guy you're not going to be able to replace. But how are you collectively coming together to play your systems properly? That, you know, even if you look at, at some of their games, I feel like they've had little moments where they've had bursts 
of sort of speed to the offensive zone or being sound defensively, but then I feel like it's been inconsistent. But for them, there has to be a way for them to come together collectively. And that's really been the narrative from their executive team, the management team coming into the season. They know they have a lot, have a lot of great individually talented and skilled players. But for them, how do they play the right team game uh, systems properly to get the results on a consistent basis. So I think for them, it's just finding a way to quiet any criticism or exterior sort of concern uh, and additional pressure that's coming their way and just really focus on, okay, what's their system? What are we going to do consistently every single shift to buy in, to be sound, to make the right decisions, and then eventually get those results that we need uh, because if you just start to feel all the pressure, additional pressure or listen to the criticism, it's only going to mount. I mean, the only thing I can draw comparison is when we were talking about the Olympics early on, there was one experience for our team many years ago, but we had lost before the Salt Lake City Olympics. We lost eight games in a row to the U.S. And I think we didn't. It was a happy ending. We ended up beating the U.S. in the Olympic gold medal game. But certainly it was a year of frustration and disappointment for us where things were not going anywhere close to where, uh, you know, we sort of expected the year to be. And so, yes, it's a long season, but there, there is going to be some, a lot of question marks around the organization in Vancouver, around the team. But for those guys on the inside, it has to still be a collective belief on how they can turn this around, how they can still have a great season ahead, not hit full panic mode for them. Just turn frustration into something productive for them. Otherwise, again, it could get into this sort of negative spiral for them. Jen Botterill, three-time Olympic gold medalist, uh, Sportsnet hockey analyst, joining us here on the big show, Russick and Rose Sports at 960 The Fan. Jen, now I have to ask you, you mentioned the O2 Olympics. The old uh, story of them walking on her flag uh, before the gold medal game, was that true, and did you know about it in the dressing room before the game? Well, a story had come through our, our locker room before the game, yes. We learned later on, we know many of the players for the U.S. team that this did not happen. So somewhere along the lines of communication, there was someone who must have thought our team needed a little more incentive. Mm, or yeah. So in the end, we, just, we did it learn worked. that the story was, was yeah. fabricated. But uh, yes, uh, a lot of respect. I think we always say the rivalry against the U.S., but it's uh, also still a mutual respect for, for those that play on that team as well. Jen, you've obviously you've been on very several winning teams, but I wanted to ask about that spat that we did see Saturday in the Canucks and Oil, uh, Canucks and Sabers mm-hmm. game. Um, Luke Shen and JT Miller arguing as they skate off the ice mm-hmm. after the second period. I, I my question is more on the uh, on the lines of how often does this actually happen that we don't see it? Like, is this a jarring mm-hmm. thing just because we saw it, or is it jarring because this doesn't happen that often? moments as a, as a team but I'm going to say it's very rare that that this happens where the cameras can capture it right so I think as any player there's going to be intense moments you you're playing the game I feel like there's intensity there's competition there's adrenaline so of course as a as a professional athlete there's going to be demands that you have on yourself and your teammates and you're not getting those results there's going to have to be co- tough conversations uh, but I think for any team any athlete you need to know when the time the place is for that and so that's just going to send out more alarm signals for your fans for people that surround the game that oh you know what there's serious tension that they haven't solved or there's problems with their team chemistry so 
I think there's one thing. Communication is hugely important for any team on how you're going to make sure that you clear the air, that people are on the same page. I mean, not every guy on the team is going to be best friends with each other. I mean, that's the same on any team, any situation. But I just feel like you've got to understand where you're going to have those conversations, when you're going to have those moments. It's, they're going to be heated. You're going to be intense and competitive. But I just feel like you have to pick your time and place to do so. Uh, Jen, before I let you go, I know you got to run. I have to ask you about maybe the scar tissue for Flames fans when it comes to Jacob Markstrom, because I'm sure he'd be the first one to admit uh, that he didn't play the best in that series against mm-hmm. the Oilers and that uh, he had to be better for them to potentially win that series. And when he lets in a weak goal here or there and he has a couple mm-hmm. softies he's let in so far this season, that the fan base maybe jumps on him a little bit than maybe mm-hmm. that they should because this guy's one of the best goalies mm-hmm. on the planet. He was right there yeah. in the Vesna Trophy conversation. But how much scar yeah. tissue do you think is left over from the playoffs with the fan base here? But I think, I mean, I'm sure there's some, right? I mean, fans, right? They they have high expectations, right? For a team that's done so well, uh, you know, last year and then expectations for this season. Uh, but if you think about Markstrom himself, I, I just feel like you just have to use that as fuel for things that maybe didn't go exactly as you wanted in the playoffs or to end last season. Just use that as fuel and, and fire and motivation to push you forward to be even better. And, um, yeah, if people feel disappointed, it's just that exterior um, sort of conversation that's happening. So I think if you're a, a fan, of course, you, you want to have the best performance on a, on a sort of a, a consistent basis as often as possible. Uh, but as you said, I still feel like there needs to be a recognition and understanding that here he's one of the top goalies in the league, uh, and you're pretty fortunate to have him on the team. Jennifer Botterill, three-time Olympic gold medalist, uh, Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet analyst. Jen, great stuff. Let's do it again soon. Okay, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. There she goes. Uh, Nagano, now 1998. You're, you're a little too young to feel the, the pain of Nagano, right? I was about five. So you don't know the pain of Nagano. So let me no. take you through the pain of Nagano here All really right. quickly. Hit me up. So um, it was the first time you're well aware that NHLers were allowed in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And just um, the preamble to the Olympics was incredible. Talking about who's going to be on the team who isn't going to be on the team was awesome. And how they announced the team, it was on Hockey Night Canada. It was a Saturday night. Kids skated out with the jerseys. It was awesome. People were super jacked up about Team Canada. Mark Messier not on the team. How the hell do you not put Mark Messier on the team? Wayne Gretzky makes the team when some people thought Wayne wouldn't be making uh, the team. Uh, Rob Zaminer made Team Canada. And you're like, how the hell is Rob Zaminer on Team Canada in Nagano. Uh, Bobby Clark was the general manager, and Eric Lindros got the captaincy. And people were like, why is Eric Lindros the captain when clearly Wayne Gretzky should be the captain? So tons of stuff. They get to the Olympic Village. They're rock stars. All the athletes want to be seen with the NHLers. Uh, The Canadian team staying in the Canadian Olympic Village with everyone else, not in their own hotel like the Dream Team did with the States, whatever. They're at the Olympic Village. They play all these games, and then they suffer that soul-crushing loss to Hashik and the checks in the shootout, mm-hmm. where obviously you've seen it, where Wayne Gretzky's on the bench with tears in his eyes, and Ray Bork goes out there and shoots, and Wayne Gretzky's on the bench, the most prolific goal scorer in the history of the NHL, doesn't even get a chance to shoot, because I don't know what Mark Crawford was thinking. That loss hurt so bad that it took me about 36 hours to really even pick my head up. Really? Because my friends and I... We were so excited for the tournament. And and again, I was a teenager at the time. They all came over 3 o'clock in the morning. We're watching games live. 
and you're all in on the team. Like you want, you don't want anything more than Canada to win a gold medal at the Olympics, especially fresh off the the disappointment at the World Cup of Hockey when Canada lost the United States when the so-called American Brett Hall scored the game winner Mm -hmm. to beat Canada in the gold medal game. Now you're worried about the United States. You built a team to beat the Americans at the Olympics, but then Hashik, Yager, and the Czechs, you get goalied in the shootout. That was so disappointing, so devastating. And the bronze medal game that Canada lost to Finland, they wanted no business of that game. They didn't want to bring home a symbol of them losing the, the gold medal, not winning a gold medal, bringing home a bronze. Credit the Finns for actually showing up that game. And I grew up idolizing Patrick Waugh. I loved Patrick Waugh. I yeah. cried when Patrick Waugh got traded to the Avalanche. And what an absolutely horrendous trade by Rajon Fool and the Habs organization at the time when now we find out last year that they could have mended the fences. Waugh was willing to stay as long as Ronald Corey and Rajon Fool uh, iron things out with Mario Tremblay. So two passengers on those 70s Habs teams uh, essentially changed the entire trajectory of the franchise by trading one of the best goalies in the history of the league over a little spat, leaving the guy in for eight goals against the Red Wings when Trombley was uh, Patrick Waugh's roommate when they when he was breaking into the NHL and they didn't like each other, and Waugh made sure he never scored on him in practices. But that's neither here nor there, of that relationship <laughs> on what a disaster trade that was. But just the feeling of Nagano losing that, and mm-hmm. that's why, to me, I know you're a 2010 Olympics guy, that yep. that was the biggest moment for you. Mm-hmm. 2 was the biggest moment for me because I remember what it felt like losing in Nagano and then doing it on American soil when the Americans have never lost a gold medal in America. The Joe Sackett call and Bob Cole and Mike Richter was phenomenal for the United States. Yep. Like that doesn't get talked enough about how incredible he was in goal for the Americans. But snapping that 50-year gold medal drought to the day, that's why Salt Lake City, to me, is always the most special Olympic gold medal, just based on how much, how devastating Nagano was. Salt Lake is like the first one that I can actually sentient type of remember. Like them going to Salt Lake, I remember the games being in the U.S., so they were all at a decent time. We would get together and we would watch them all as a family and I remember all the stars because back then I was playing a lot of the PC NHL game. Right. All these on top the players on the keyboard that I was recognizing from my game that were now playing for Team Canada, which was pretty awesome in its own right. Um, and then, yeah, it just started an outstanding run for the Canadians. And it it's funny because you talk about like a 50-year drought, and I'm like, well, oh, I just know them as always being winners. And then, of course, things changed when the NHLers stopped going to the Olympics. But for me, that's the field of view. Yeah. Winning 2002 and then 06, 2010, and and everything that's happened since. Yeah, 06 was uh, ridiculous when uh, they had uh, Malpe and Draper as the crash line. And then they lose (laughs) uh, to the Swiss. It was really frustrating. 06 didn't really have that same jam in Torino. And 2010, obviously, uh, the Crosby golden goal. He's in town tonight. It just... Aginla was at the 2006 game, so that was like, I was full-blown in the Jerome Aginla, so that was huge, but you bring up a great point. Remember they were wearing the super tight Nike jerseys saying that they have less drag, and then they're like, we can't wear these super small jerseys on the ice, this is ridiculous. (laughs) But 2010 was about, the Olympics was so incredible for Canada in Vancouver, they won so so many gold medals, but the one thing we would have remembered the most of, if Canada didn't end up winning the gold in men's hockey, but they did. 
And that's why the Vancouver Olympics lives on forever as the greatest two weeks of Canadian sports history. And that is, there's no doubt about that. That is, that, that's slam dunk incredible. But that's why, to me, Salt Lake means so much. And then when we had Jen on, thinking about the silver medal in Nagano, yeah, the women lost two to the Americans, which is super frustrating. And then they actually got the bounce back in 02 in, in Nagano, in, in Salt Lake City. Um, it, it was just incredible. And in Niagara Falls, uh, Clifton Hill is the tourist area. Like, they have all these, like, terrible wax museums. And, like, it's like any town USA, but there's, like, all these arcades. There's a Ferris wheel. There's all this touristy stuff on Clifton Hill, which is literally a five-minute walk from Niagara Falls itself. What When Canada won that gold medal, we jumped in the car with flags yep. and went down to Clifton Hill, and there was hundreds of Canadian flags being waved up and down Clifton Hill where American tourists are like, do you guys do you guys do this every Sunday? What is happening? Why are you waving so many American flags, uh, Canadian flags here? Why are you guys doing this? Well, Canada just won the gold. And then we went to a local bar after, and we were partying hard all night. And yeah. I passed out in my bed with a big smile on my face because Canada finally won that gold medal. And, of course, the story with the loony on the ice, Blah, blah, blah. My favorite footnote to all of the Salt Lake gold medal win was that that was, and I know him, and he's a great guy, uh, Sportsnet, former Sportsnet golf analyst. I don't know if he still does it. Ian Leggett, that was his only win on the PGA Tour, was the day Canada won in Salt Lake. Nobody remembers poor Lego winning on the PGA Tour for the first time because all the attention was on Canada's men's Olympic team snapping that 50-year drought and the Joe Sackett goal. Ian Leggett won his only PGA Tour event the same day the O2 Olympics went down. Oh, you mean the Touchstone Energy Tucson Open? Oh, I remember it like it was yesterday, right. George, with David Peoples and Lauren Roberts as the runner-ups, and he won by two strokes. Yeah. That's a Wikipedia search right there. Absolutely. But that's what he did. Yeah, that's... It, it, it's a good point that it brought together a really good week of sports. Like I don't remember Ian Leggett winning. Like that's exactly. <laughs> Sorry, dog. But it was but... always funny. He's like, no, I would never trade my win. But Canadian golf back then, you know, wasn't what it was. That's before even Mike Weir won the Masters. Yeah, hundred percent. Right, and oh. it's, it was a big deal when a Canadian won a PGA Tour championship. Huge deal, deal when they were like top ten finisher at any yeah. tournament. Let alone Stephen Ames, yeah. Calgary's own Stephen Ames. Yes, who was never really from Calgary, but whatever. Stephen Ames, little clay was up. Gr- sure. Yeah, sure, he's ours. Yeah, he's ours. Stephen Ames. So yeah, like that's to me that's the best footnote in all of that is Ian Leggett won on the PGA Tour his only win the day <laughs> Canada beat the United States in the gold medal in Salt Lake. So I wonder there, if now he I wears gave you the story of Nagano. Yeah. Wow. I feel like so much more learned now. Learned something every new. Learn something new every you day, George. You didn't experience the pain of the World Cup. No. And then the loss to the Czechs. And that's why O2 means so much. And I'm sure there's people of my vintage. Mind you, I'm not that old. I'm a man. I'm 40. But they remember all of this growing up. Like, I, I barely even remember any World Cup of hockey because it was that. Then they did O4. And then it was... The oh no, but nothing was more electric than Team North America at the. I I was, was electric. I was in the age range that I did love that, the idea of Team North America. Yeah, you want to watch one of the greatest games you'll ever see in your life? Go back and watch Sweden Team North America, the World Cup of Hockey. It's one of the greatest hockey games ever played. Yeah, well, that team was stacked. Yeah, it was. They had goofy. everybody. <laughs> they had everybody on that team. It was ridiculous. Uh, team North America. All right, uh, lots to come. Straight ahead. Uh, still got the poll question up at George Russick at Matt Rose YYC. I know we're nitpicking a four and one hockey team, 
But who needs to have a more dominant performance to maybe shush a little segment of the fan base? The top line for Jacob Markstrom. Uh, we'll also read some of your text messages. Uh, I went to a bar last night by myself, which is sadder. Going to a, a bar by yourself or going to the movies by yourself. We'll do all of that straight ahead. And maybe I'll have some facts about penguins for you. Oh, because, fun. Be, because, Let me get the more you know sound effect ready. Yeah, because uh, obviously uh, the penguins are in town tonight. Yeah. And you need something to talk about uh, with somebody who you're watching the game with or you're going to the game tonight down at the Dome. Oh, You can enlighten uh, them with some penguins facts. Yeah, a little uh, water cooler fodder. Yeah. That'd be. And then uh, Jason Bukala. Uh, former NHL scout, sports and columnist, and 8:30. It's all straight ahead. The big show, Russick and Rose.